Hello, everybody. It feels... I'm actually so happy to be recording again because, if you guys didn't know, I took a little week off because, to be quite honest with you, I did not have an idea for an episode. And I feel like I would be like lying to you guys if I said that I actually had an idea for last week's episode, if there was one, but there wasn't because I didn't know what to talk about and I didn't want to come on my podcast and just talk about nothing. So I took a little week off, but I'm actually really excited to be back because I have a lot to share. I have, you could probably tell by the title of this episode that I have gotten into something new and this is, this hasn't happened in a long time. We're like, I've gotten into something new and I actually like excited to talk about it, but I haven't done, I haven't been like that in a long time, but I finally can share with you what's been going on with me and I'm really excited, but I hope you guys have been doing really well. Um, since I haven't spoke, spoken to you guys in like a week, I really hope you're doing well, but now it's time to talk about me, which it sucks to say, but I love doing it. I love doing it. So we're going to talk about me right now. I'm going to set the scene for you. It is currently 6 30 PM on a Tuesday night and The sun's out, the weather's warm, it's finally starting to feel like summer is coming a little bit, even though the weather literally fluctuates so much, but it was a really good day today. Like, it was, the weather was warm, the sun is out, you know, I'm laying in bed, I got home from school and I literally immediately took a shower and I just felt so good and clean again. But we're here now, and um, I'm currently drinking a grapefruit-flavored sparkling water, which is, like, my new favorite drink right now, and it's it's been going crazy. It's been going extremely crazy lately, but, yeah. So, you might have read by the title of this episode that I have started reading, and, oh my god, wait, I'm actually so excited to talk about this, because I, I haven't really talked about it with anybody, not necessarily, like, my I've talked to my mom about it and stuff like that, but none of my friends really know, because I just wanted to know for sure if it was actually something that I was really interested in doing, and I've been reading, I started reading, well, I've been reading for like a week now, a week and a half, it's only been like two weeks, actually. I've been reading for about a week and a half, two weeks now, and it all started when, in the beginning of the year, actually, um, in January, I was like, okay, the new year, I wanted to start incorporating new things into my routine, and I wanted to have a new hobby, so I was like, okay, I know I don't like reading, right, but I was like, okay, what if I just buy a book, and just leave it on my bedside table and I'll read it whenever I have the energy or feel like it. Or if I'm like really bored, if I'm bored out of my mind completely and I just need something to do and I don't want to scroll on my phone, I'll just read. And then maybe that'll something good will come out of that, whatever. So I bought the book. The book that I'm currently reading right now is 
East of Eden by John Steinbeck. And I've read a John Steinbeck book before for school. I'm, I've read Of Mice and Men. Even, and I loved that book. Like, even though we had to read it for an assignment and I don't really like reading for leisure, I really liked Of Mice and Men because it got straight to the point in the plot and it, like, it was the surprise ending Then I just really enjoyed reading it. But that was the only John, John Steinbeck book that I've actually read. And my mom, this is like one of her favorite authors, so... Pretty much since I was, like, in sixth grade, she's been talking about how much she loves John Steinbeck and his books and stuff like that. Originally, when I read Of Mice and Men, I hated it because the writing style is very dated because most of his books were written, like, the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, stuff like that. So the writing style is very dated, right? And there's just things in there because of the context of the time, there's just multiple themes and motifs and things like that in there, in in his books, that just tell a lot about the context of the time. But, I mean, it was written in the 1930s in the United States, so do with that information what you want. But, yeah, I'd only read Of Mice and Men. I didn't like it at first, and I ended up really, really liking it. And I never really read for leisure whenever I read something I've always read for some sort of ulterior motive and I've never actually like oh I'm gonna get a book and read it because I like to read like I've never been like that I I was like that for the time period from second grade to third grade and then I just stopped reading for fun after third grade because I New, because like things like iPads were becoming more popular, and I was like, okay, reading kind of sucks. I'm gonna go play Cool Math right now, and play Toontown. Like that's what I was doing. Like I wasn't really like, oh, I I like to read for fun. Do I wish I was that way? Yes. Did I get jealous every time I saw my friends reading instead of being on their iPads? Yes, because I was like, you are gonna be so much more smarter than me, and I want. To be that, but I can't because I just love Toontown too much. So I was never that kid that just liked to read for fun. I was that kid for about a year, and then I just I got an iPad, and I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, wow, this is amazing, and I just never went back to reading. But I made it a goal the beginning of this year, and I don't really like making New Year's resolutions because I just feel like why don't just start them anytime you want. You don't have to start them in, in the beginning of the year. Like, start your resolutions when you're ready. But I was like, okay, my goal was this year, for the, my goal for, for this year was to just try something new. And I bought my first book, which is East of Eden by John Steinbeck in January. I didn't read it for four months up until about two weeks ago. So I bought the book in January, and I didn't start reading it till the beginning of this month. It was like April 3rd I started reading my book, because I kept track, because I was like, wait, this is very monumental, and I'll get into that story of how I actually started reading it. So, um, let's see. 
it started when the, the weather outside was really, really nice. It was very, very warm. You know, it was the sun was out, and it was sunset. So I wanted to go outside because I had been cooped up in my room, and I'd been at school all day. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to – wait, was it – was I even in school on April 3rd? I'm going to check because I really do want to get the dates right. No, it was Sunday. Sorry. April 3rd was on Sunday. Okay, so I wasn't at school, but I was – I remember I was really – not trying to go outside, and I was, like, cooped up in my room, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go outside, it's really nice, okay, and then I was like, I'm gonna bring my book, out of nowhere, I wasn't even thinking about my book, I wasn't thinking about reading it, I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna bring my book, and then we'll see, if I get bored, I'll read it, okay, so, I go outside, I walk around, I sit down, I put my phone in my bag because I just didn't want to be on my phone, and I started reading my book. And when I started reading, I hadn't read for fun in so long that I, like, forgot how to read. Now, that sounds bad. I know, it, it sounds terrible that I, quote-unquote, forgot how to read. But, and you're probably thinking, like, how did you forget how to read? You literally read for school. Well... No, because whenever I'm assigned a reading, I, I do this thing, or, like, I have this routine of, like, not actually reading the book and going to Spark Notes and still passing and getting a good grade on our book essays and stuff like that because of Spark Notes. So I never actually read the book that I'm assigned. I just use Spark Notes, and I can say that because literally everyone else uses it in my class. So, whatever. But I had read the first page of my book, and I was flipping the next page. I was like, wait, I didn't actually absorb any knowledge from this book at all. Like, I did, I did not – I literally forgot what I was – like, what I read, and it was really bad. I had to reread the page, like, three times to really, like, get the grasp of it. And, like, I think I had read one chapter the first day. I I had like I had read one chapter that day, and then I was like, okay, I'm only reading one chapter, so I don't overload my brain or like overstimulate it with reading. So I put my book away. I went back inside, and then I didn't pick my book up until like two days, two or three days later after that. And ever since, I've just been reading every day, or I've been trying to read every day. Sometimes I just get too busy. Or I'm just too tired to read, so I just, like, don't. But I've been reading a lot more regularly, and I'm really excited. So I'm going to tell you what's been going on in my book so far. I think I'm only on Chapter 5, I think. And this is a long book. This book is about, like, 500, 600 pages. So this is a long book. And if I would have started it when I got it, I probably would have been finished. But this is such a good book. If you look if you're looking to get into reading, I really recommend East of Eden by John Steinbeck. It's a really it's like more of a young adult book. Like it's not like a oh fiction chapter book. It's like realistic fiction. It's like based in history. Um so first I'll read you the summary on Sparknotes. <laughs> LOL. This is not sponsored, but Sparknotes, if you want to sponsor me, I literally am not opposed because I use you religiously. So this is the summary of East of Eden by John Steinbeck. 
It says, in the late 19th century, a, name, a man named Samuel Hamilton settles in the Salinas Valley in Northern California. He brings his strict, beloved wife, Liza, with him from Ireland. Although Samuel is well-respected in the community, he never becomes a wealthy man. The Hamiltons go on to have, a nice, to have nine children and become a prominent family in the valley. Adam Trask, meanwhile, settles in the valley with his pregnant wife, Kathy, where he eventually becomes friends with Samuel Hamilton. Before moving to California, Adam lives on a farm in Connecticut with his half-brother, Charles. The dark and moody Charles resents the fact that his, in Adam's father, Cyrus, has always favored the good-natured Adam. Upon his death, Cyrus leaves his sons a large and unexpected fortune, probably stolen during his days as an administrator in the U.S. Army. Despite their newfound wealth, Adam and Charles remain unable to get along. Charles is disgusted at his brother's marriage to Kathy, who, unbeknownst to Adam or Charles, is a, far is a former prostitute who murders her parents and stole their money. Although Charles desp despises Kathy, he takes her into his bed after she drugs Adam on their wedding night. Adam and Kathy move to California as Adam proves unable to live peacefully with Charles in Connecticut in the Salinas Valley. Kathy learns she is pregnant and attempts to abort her baby in order to prevent any further ties to her husband. She is desperate to escape Adam despite the fact that he loves her and provides for her. The abortion is unsu unsuccessful and Kathy eventually gives birth to twins, Aaron and Caleb. Now, I'll stop there because this Aaron and Caleb, the twins, are, well, this book is based upon the biblical story of Abel and Cain, I'm pretty sure. If I'm wrong, correct me. If you've read this book, correct me. But I'm pretty sure it's about Abel and Cain. I'm not really 100% educated on that this whole story. So, but I'm going to have to look it up because I, I need to know it to understand the book. But I'll stop there. So far, I love it. I love this book. I literally cannot put it down. There was one night where I was reading and I like had to force myself to close the book and go to bed because I was it was like 11.30 p.m. And I was like, okay, I need to stop reading this book. But it's so good that I didn't really like feel bad about it. But I'm now going to point out some of my favorite quotes because I've been marking some pages. And this book really has changed my perspective on some things. Like, I didn't know reading, number one, opened up a whole new world of, like, possibility. Like, I didn't know that. Yes, I've heard people say it before because before I started reading this book I was watching YouTube videos and doing some research on how reading has changed people's lives because I've always heard about it I've always heard reading oh reading changed my life I love reading but I wanted to, so I looked up on YouTube to watch those videos and I was just like okay I wanted to get a feel of what I was getting myself into a little bit you know and I can wholeheartedly say that I agree with everything that I've heard about reading, I love it. From learning new life lessons, getting a whole new outlook on life, growing my vocabulary. Oh my god. My vocabulary has grown significantly since I started reading and I really, that was a huge goal of mine because I feel like I was a horrible person at speaking. It also helped me like, slow down my speech and like it really helps it really really helps and i love it 
So, reading just opened up so many new things for me. And I didn't know that it could do that. But now that I am actually am a reader now, I can experience all the things that those YouTubers were telling me about how reading changed their life and how they've become better people, how they've learned so many lessons, and, like, I love it. Like, I feel like I'm getting smarter a little bit, too, which is weird. But I've been getting a lot smarter. But it's time for quotes that I want to pick out and share with you and how I've applied them to my life. So it's going to get a little deep here. But I am excited and, like over the moon about sharing my reading experience with you all because I really, I feel like there's something positive that I can share with my supporters because you don't really see this a lot. Nowadays, people promoting good habits like reading, I don't really feel like people promote this as, as much as they should be, but I hope this will, this will inspire some of you to start reading, especially this book because it's it's so good. Um, but again, like I said in the beginning, there this is written literally the 1930s. It takes place in the Great Depression. So, given the context of the time, there are certain slurs in here because this is in the point of view from a white male in 1930s America. So, certain groups just weren't respected so I really want you to keep that in mind like immigrants specifically Chinese Americans black people women things like that Irish Americans because they were discriminated against at the time so my first quote is you can boast about anything if that's all you have maybe the less you have the more you are required to boast now when I read this I actually it made like it made me stop reading to think about the quote and like it makes a lot of sense to me like anyone can just be proud of what they have but like i feel like what they're trying to what Steinbeck is trying to say here is like the less you have like if you have less then you value it more cuz that's all you have and i feel like when you have so much stuff, you it kind of loses its value to you in a, in a way. Like, let's say, oh, I'm in a lot. I'm in a designer a lot, and I get hypothetically like a hundred Fendi coats, two hundred bags. You know, like let's say I'm just really into designer. I'm not gonna appreciate all of my designer things because I that's like I have a lot of them. But if I work hard to get me one designer item, I'm going to appreciate it and boast about it more because that's all I have. So, like, I took from that quote was just, like, appreciate everything you have. And, like, when I was younger, I feel like I didn't really appreciate all of the amazing things that I had in my life. Like, I took them for granted, and now that I look back and I read that quote in the book, I was just like, wow, I really didn't really appreciate things that I had. Like, I always I always wanted an abundance of things, too, which is never good, but I always wanted, like, a surplus and multitude of things, like, especially things that I liked. Like, let's say 
I wanted a bunch of jewelry and skincare. And now that I have, now that I make my own money and I can, and I'm like able to buy myself as much as I want, it's getting to be too much. And I've had to like step back and be like, okay, I'm going absolutely crazy with all of this spending unnecessarily. And I need to like cool down. And I'm still trying to teach myself that. But it's a process. So it's not going to happen overnight. But I really have just been. Like, that spoke to me a lot. So, like, I just have to keep thinking to appreciate everything that I have now, no matter how much I have. But if you have less of something, like, you're more proud of it because that's, and you want to take care of it more because that's all you have. So, I loved that. I That literally spoke to me because I was like, wow. Then that was literally page four. Like they were dropping gems from the get go, and I was like, "Ooh!" I was like, "Yes, this is so much knowledge." I feel like I'm just gaining so much more new knowledge, and I love it. I can't find the next page. I had them sticky note. I don't know why I'm flipping through the book. Like I literally don't know where they are because I literally put sticky notes on them. Okay. This one says, look now, in all of history, men have been taught that killing of men is an evil thing, not to be countenanced. I don't know that. Listen, I, I my vocabulary has grown a lot, but some words I still have no clue what they actually mean. So bear with me. Look now, in all of history, men have been taught that killing of men is an evil thing, that not to be countenanced. Any man who kills must be destroyed because this is a great sin, maybe the worst sin we know. And then we take a soldier and put murder in his hands, and we say to him, use it well, use it wisely. We put no checks on him. Go out and kill, go out and kill as many of a certain kind of, or classification of your brothers as you can. And we will re reward you for it because it is a violation of your early training. Now, I felt like this was a... I felt like John Steinbeck was kind of being a critic of his time because... I know back then in America, a lot of people were really, well, in certain areas of America, Christian, like, religion and, like, being a Christian was, like, really, really pushed. And, obviously, murder is a sin. And, but they would value their military so much, and I pretty much a job of the military is to kill the enemy. And you get rewarded for it. Like, you get praised for killing people in the military. Or killing your enemy, I should say. But then, if someone else who's not in the military or not of a higher rank does it, then it's a sin. But we don't treat those people the same who are in the military. And this honestly can apply to today. Like, a lot of Christians... They'll be so critical of other people and be like, oh, this is a sin. You know, like, you can't do that. That's a sin. You're not going to heaven for that. But then they'll go around and do sins, too. Like, they'll sin, too. But somehow the sin that someone else does is worse. And that's not how that works. So, he was definitely ahead of his time. Oh, my God, there's motorcycles. It's warm out today again. But, oh, my God. People are riding their motorcycles, and I don't like it. 
Ghosts, I cannot stand motorcycle riders. Anyways, even though I do kind of want one. That's a different story for another day. Um, I'll maybe tell at the end. But Steinbeck was definitely ahead of his time when he said this because this still happens today where, a bunch, where Christians are just so judgmental and critical even though they sin the same way and they still sin and their sins might even be worse. But I don't really think there is a worse sin. A sin is a sin. So, I mean, you can't really praise someone for sinning just because they're in a higher position. But if someone in a lower position in society murders someone is considered, oh, you're going to hell for that. That's a sin. You can't do that. You have no place. You're not making it to heaven. Whatever. That just irritates me. So I feel like that was a true reflection of the time now. And that was really, really smart. Next quote says, Though shuck off any little dignity you have, you'll lose what you think is your decent right to live and let and to be let alone to live. I feel like this kind of speaks about society and social media. I connected this to social media. I really did. I connected this straight to social media because when you are in the public eye, I'm not I'm not talking about me per se, I'm just speaking generally. Like if you're in the public eye on social media in today's age, people will just make you think that you don't have a right to do anything. And it's so crazy because it literally this is the same thing about social media today. Like it's insane. People online think they are entitled to tell you what to do and what not to do. And, like, let's say someone buys a car, and they're, like, they're proud of themselves for buying a, for being able to buy a car. But then their fans are like, oh, don't forget, this wouldn't happen because of us. And they're just, like, constantly saying it. Like, that gets really annoying. And it, like, it kind of takes some of your dignity off, in a way. Like, it makes you not feel proud of yourself for bought, being able to buy the car yourself. I mean, yes. Obviously, the supporters online are one of the main reasons why you can afford nice things, but it's not all because of them. I know people, or like I've seen celebrities, who their fans give them stuff, but they never really have money to really do stuff for them, and it really hurts my heart, but that's just the way it is. So I connected that immediately to social media, specifically TikTok. Like, so a celebrity literally can't even post their new house without, or like one of their big big accomplishments without their fans in the comments saying, oh, this happened, don't forget this happened because of us. Remember why you're famous, bestie. Like, it's so annoying. And that's one of the downsides of being famous. Like, you just... People will literally think that you owe them something all the time. Whether that be an apology, you know, them getting prayed. Like, it doesn't matter. It just, people think you owe them something some all the time online. It's crazy. Next says, and do you know what happens? The whole machine devotes itself coldly to the destruction of its difference. They'll beat your spirit and your nerves, your body and your mind with iron rods until the dangerous difference goes out of you. I connected this back to me. 
Of course. Why would I? Why would I not? I promise I'm not narcissistic, but I. This just I thought I saw myself in that, because. I, when I was growing up, I. Always. Wanted to fit in. And in certain situations, like we, me with my blackness, I'm not your typical quote-unquote black guy, if that makes any sense. Whatever that even means, but the stereotypical black guy, I'm, I don't fit that, right? And I had some struggles growing up around, or even like me making black friends for the first time in fifth grade. I, I had to... I was like putting myself in a box and I was trying to make myself be who I wasn't that it like made it worse. I didn't necessarily feel pressured to be something that I wasn't, but I feel like I needed to to fit in and make new and make and actually make black friends because when I was growing up I never really grew up around black people. Except for family, but in church, but when I would, like, go to school, I never was around any black people, ever, and it was a little bit of a culture shock when I actually made my first black friend in fifth grade, like, it was a huge culture shock, and I was like, okay, I have a new black friend, I don't know how this is like yet, so I'm just gonna ease myself into it, but then I was like, wait, I see other black people doing this, Maybe if I do that, I'll have more black friends. So I would, I would be the stereotypical black person. And I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I don't like Jordans. I don't like soul food like that. Like, I would just make myself someone who I wasn't. And I didn't feel good ever doing that. I always didn't feel like myself when I would try to be something that I wasn't, obviously, because that's not who I am as a person. So it really messed me up in a way. But now that I've accepted myself for the way that I am, I can make any type of friend and not have to force myself to assimilate into something or like try to be something that I'm not. And it's great. So... Next, it says, nearly all men are afraid and they don't even know what causes their fear. Shadows, perplexities, dangers without names or numbers, fear of a faceless death. But if you can bring yourself to face not shadows but real death, described and recognizable, by bullet or, or saber, arrow or lance, then you need never be afraid again, at least not in the same way you were before. Then you will be a man set apart from other men, safe where other men may cry in terror. This is a great reward. May this be the only reward. Maybe this is the final purity all ringed with filth. I feel like this touches on how during that time men were like not expected to show emotion. And we've come such a long way. Um, hmm. Personally, I've come such a long way. Now, for men in general, we are not there yet. Because I see every single day online where 
someone is getting clowned for crying or showing emotion or someone's called or some guy is called too soft for crying. And I feel like in the book it shows how like back in the 1930s men were expected to just be tough all the time and not cry and just hold that unrealistic ideal that literally doesn't make sense because we're human. Every like we're all human. And crying is a natural human thing to do. And if you don't cry, you can suppress your emotions, which then turns into other problems like anger issues and being closed off, which is never good. But I feel like to me it's like really important to show emotion and not feel bad for it. I honestly don't get annoyed when people show that they, they're crying on the internet. Like, I don't get annoyed. At, like, it doesn't bother me. Unless the person is annoying. But, like, if you're just, like, a normal person that I don't really have an opinion about you and you see you crying on the internet, I'm not gonna... And it's, and it's for a good reason. I don't see anything wrong with it. Because, to me, it it shows people that, hey, it's okay to not hide your emotions. It's okay to actually cry when you need to. It's okay to not feel bad for crying, especially as a man. And I feel like it's a very valuable lesson that men these days need to learn is that it's okay to show emotion and you should not suppress your emotions because that's how you end up in these certain situations where you develop anger issues and it turns to something even worse. I see this with, especially in the black community. My God, have I seen so many men get so just weird about crying. Like, it's okay to cry. And luckily, I've that's never influenced me, those certain things when people are like, oh, men, real men don't cry. I've, I've That's never bothered me because I've always just been myself when it comes to that. Like, if, if I'm sad and I feel like crying, I'm going to cry. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm okay, men don't cry. I'm going to cry. Because that's just, that's just how my body works. That's just how the human body works. You, you cry when you're sad. Whatever. It's okay. And I never let anyone put me down or make me feel bad about that because it's natural. And I'm not going to suppress my emotions because someone else tells me to. Or it's this societal ideal that we're, that men aren't supposed to show them crying. It's so annoying. It's, it's so outdated. We need to get rid of that. I don't know why that's still a thing. That's even be, supposed to be talked about. But whatever. Anyway. I think I talked about that in my toxic masculinity episode that I did. I forgot when I actually did that. But I did that. I did an episode on toxic masculinity I think a year ago. And. I loved having that conversation because I feel really strongly about it. But anyway, next. Charles is not afraid, so he could never learn anything about courage. Now, this one, this one, I really took to heart. Because I've been kind of struggling with confidence. Not really, like, learning to be confident because I, I feel like I've, I'm at that point where I'm extremely confident in myself and... Even when I don't feel like I look my best or feel my best, I'm so confident because I know who I am. but And I know the power that I hold. But 
what's been troubling me recently is if I'm exerting too much confidence to the point where it feels like I think I'm better than everybody else. And I don't want to put out that aura because that's not who I am at all. I'm no better than anybody. I'm a human. I'm not perfect. But I'm asking myself, okay, am I putting on a front? And just acting like I'm super confident that it comes out that it comes off to the point where I feel like I'm better than everybody else or like other people perceive me that way or I'm like or I do I have the right balance? Because sometimes I feel like I exert too much confidence. That's not really how I feel. But then sometimes I feel like I'm at like the perfect level of confidence but still staying humble. Like I'm just I'm, I'm like I've been having that dilemma and. In the book, Charles is kind of the same way where he never is scared of anything. Like, he puts on this front like he's never, like, he's not scared of anything, that he's very tough, which is why, like, what was it? I think they were talking about the military and, like, how Adam didn't want to do it because he was, like, too scared to do it. And he asked his dad why he didn't put Charles in the military. And his dad responded with that, that Charles is not scared of anything, so he doesn't know what courage is like. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Like, if you're, put, if you're constantly putting on a front that you're like, oh, I'm not scared of anything. I can take anything. I'm strong. Nothing will ever break me down. I don't feel like that's completely true because... As humans, we learn more about ourselves and other things every single day. And although you may think you're that way, and that's great, good for you, but for me, I don't think that's actually, I don't think that's realistic. And that ends up making you lack in the courage department. I feel like people that are like more afraid to do stuff take more risks in a weird way and that's good for you like taking risks is such an essential is it's it's such an essential part of being a human and having new experiences because you never know until you try so like taking risk is very taking risk oh my god that guys oh my god taking risks is so important and if you're constantly putting on a front like you I'm never scared, too scared to do anything. You don't develop courage. And that's really, really bad for you as a human. Because having courage is a really, really good thing to have um, in almost every situation. So I loved that quote. I loved it. That was probably one of my favorite quotes from the book. It was like pointing out how Cyrus knows Charles is putting on a front acting like he's not scared of anything, but then he lacks courage, whereas Adam is afraid of going to the military, but I feel like once I start reading more, that he'll develop more courage to do things, and I love it. So, next one. I'm on, like, chapter five, you guys. All right, next one says, By the time this native fighting had become like dangerous cattle drives, the traps were forced to, into revolt. Driven and decimated, and the sad, sullen remnants settled on starvation lands. It was not nice work, but given the pattern of the country's development, it had to be done. 
So, the narrator is talking about, I guess, the conflict with the Native Americans and the white people on reservation lands, because um, this was, I think, I think the part where I'm at now is before they actually moved to Salinas Valley, California, and they're still, like, in the, um, what's it called, the Great Plains or something, or, like, they're still in that area where, like, Kansas, Oklahoma is, and, you know, those are where most of the Native American reservations are, and they, he's talking about, like, all the fighting that they had, and he acknowledges that it was wrong, but, uh, according to him, it was, it had to be done because of the country's development, because during this time, more people were migrating to the United States, and this is during the Great Depression, so, you know, people living on those farms didn't really have a lot to work with, and that ended up causing a lot of conflict between groups, so, yeah. That's all I really wanted to point out with that one, but I just wanted to highlight that, because I feel like it was really important to understand the context of the book, so, yeah. What's next? This is our last quote that I've had so far, and it says, this, these pages, you guys, this, also, this book is also so thick that it never stays open, and it's kind of annoying. Oh, there's two more. Okay. This says, Liza hated alcoholic liquors with an iron zeal. Drinking alcohol in any form she regarded as a crime against a properly out outraged deity. So, if you don't know about Liza, she's like a woman of God. Essentially, she basically resisted any drinking of alcohol. So, yeah. Not only would she not touch it herself, but she resisted it, its enjoyment by anyone else. Then it says, she always took the wine in a tablespoon. It was always medicine, but after a time, she was doing over a quart a day, and she was a much more relaxed and happy woman. For some reason, I translated this as not being so stuck up, and this probably has nothing to do with what Steinbeck was actually trying to portray, but... It, like, quickly goes from Liza being this woman of God who, like, never drinks and is, like, totally against drinking alcohol. But then literally, like, two paragraphs down, it talks about her becoming an alcoholic, essentially. And this kind of let my... This kind of, like, made me realize that it's, like, this attached the feeling of or, like, the experience of letting your guard down for me, or, like, not being so stuck up, because when I would go to, like, family parties and whatever, I wasn't really social. I'm never, like, whenever I go to any type of social setting, I don't really like to socialize, because I get, I'm really, really shy, and I think I have social anxiety, and I just don't, I get really nervous meeting new people and talking to people that I don't really know that well, so it's, it's a lot. But over the past couple of years, whenever I do go to so any type of social setting or social event, something came over me to now where the point where I'm like, I want to talk to new people. And like, it makes me excited to new, meet new people. So I felt like I really connected with Liza in that situation where she went from, oh, I'm very reserved, no drinking for me, to the point where she became an alcoholic. And I kind of found it funny, even though it's not really that funny because, like, being an alcoholic is, like, not fun. But 
It was like, oh, she let her hair down. It's like she let her hair down in a little, like a little bit, because in the book, Liza is very like stern. Like, I don't do this. I'm a woman of God. I follow the Bible word by word. I'm very, very like you know, I'm set in my ways. And then she became an alcoholic very, very quickly, and due to her being sick, also. Which also, I feel like that kind of makes a point where it's like, don't ever take life too seriously because you never know what could happen. And I feel like you should YOLO sometimes, even though I hate using that fucking word. Sometimes, you know, life is just too short to just like not try anything. So like, just do it, you know? And I'm learning that still too, to like, it's okay to try new things. Like, it's okay, because you only live once. This is the only life that you get. So, you know, might as well just try everything, you know? Um, but that's how far I am in my book. I'm really enjoying it. I've learned so many new life lessons already. And it's really opened my eyes to how the world works in a way. And how life was back then. And, like, it gained me perspective, too, of what it's like to be a white male in 1930s. Because I'll, I'll never know what that's like. Me reading this book puts me in the lens of a white male who has kids and a wife of the 1930s during the Great Depression. Like, I, I would never know what that's like. So, it really gave me a new perspective on life, on certain things. But, I'm really loving my book. I'm going to keep you guys posted and updated about anything that anything new that I've learned, anything that's been going on for me. I also did want to share some new words that I learned, and I've been keeping a page in my notes app for it. It's very cringy, I know. But it's it's just really I, – like, I love words, so it's like really – it's exciting for me. First word, first word is despondent, which means in low spirits from loss of hope or courage. That can come handy for, for a lot with me. Um, next word is pittance, which means a very small or inadequate amount of money paid to someone as an allowance or wage. This word says nigger, niggardly, which I don't. Something about that doesn't sit right with me, but okay. And that means not generous or stingy. Um, this one, this word is gaiety, which is the state or quality of being lighthearted or cheerful. Which has also come in handy for me. And then my last word that I have right now is abysmal, which I kind of already knew, but I just kind of forgot what it meant. Um, which means extremely bad or appalling. So, those are my new words. I'll be adding to that list more and more as I read. But reading also has just changed my life as a whole too, which is really weird to say, but... Like, my whole life, or, like, no, not my life, but, like, my routine now is totally different now that I've been reading and I want to share. So, with my new reading journey, one thing I have been doing a lot was not being on my phone for an extended period amount of time. And I love it. Because I've been so consumed with reading my book that I haven't wanted to get on my phone for a long time. And it's, it's been great. Like, I, 
I've been getting up earlier every single morning on weekends when I don't have to do anything. I've been getting up early. I've been doing my laundry. I've been taking and putting more time into myself, which I really love too. Um, I've been having actual deep and meaningful conversations with my friends a lot more, with my mom. I've understood a lot more about life. I feel like I'm more mature in that I've started reading because I'm just not like scrolling on TikTok, rotting my brain for five hours a day. I've just been like, ooh, I feel like I'm an adult now, you know? Reading is like an adult thing, and I'm so happy that I'm getting into it because this is going to, this is literally, like reading I know is just going to open up a whole new world of like things that I want to do. And, like, lessons that I am that I learn and how I look at life. Um, but we really do need to start reading books collectively. Like, I think collectively right now we all can agree that we actually need to start reading books. And I'm, like, I'm being totally serious. We actually need to start reading books. They're very underrated. And I mean, like, they're extremely underrated. Do I feel like I'm a grandpa sometimes? Yes. But, again, reading is very underrated. We need to get into it more. Um, I actually have to read a book for my English class called Lord of the Flies, and I've never heard of it. I'm, doesn't, I'm not really interested in how it sounds right now. But the next book I want to read for like myself I really want to read The Grapes of Wrath because I'm now in, like, my giant, my John Steinbeck kick, like, because I just love his work so much that, like, I want to keep reading some of his books. So my next book that I really want to read are The Grapes of Wrath, 1984, by George Orwell. I really want to read that. And um, there was another book. It's a book called On Booze. I really want to read that one. So those are the three books that I really want to read now. And I'm predicting that I'm going to finish my book at the end of this month. Hopefully. Because I've been reading a lot. And if I read this every single day, then, you know, I'll get finished with it by the end of the month, which is my goal. I want to start a new book every month. So, yeah. This is my book for April, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. I totally recommend this to you guys. So far, I give this like a book like an 8 out of 10. I love it. Um, But that's what I wanted to share with you all today. That's my new experience. I am so excited to share it with you. I really hope you guys get into it. If you have any questions about reading or like if you want some advice or if you you guys just want to like talk about it or like start like an on-the-table book club, I am not opposed to that. I'm really not. I'm not opposed to it. If you want that, let me know, because I will start that immediately, and I'm not kidding. But, yeah, I that's it for the episode. I love you all very dearly. Thank you for listening to me talk about my newest obsession and my new phase. I'm in my Albert Einstein era, you guys. And I am gone now. I'm going to go poop because I haven't pooped all day. And that's not good for you. So I'm going to go. Again, I love you guys. I'll see you guys next episode. And yeah. 
I love you. Bye.